Hey everybody, welcome to the Multiply Podcast. Today we're talking about the minimal factors for disciple-making environments. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. We're so glad you guys are with us for our very first podcast. Uh, It's a podcast devoted to all things discipleship and leadership. Dave, what is up, man? Hey, excited to get this thing going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've been talking about this for a while, so it's cool to uh, finally be here. And um, the way the podcast is going to work is some weeks Dave and I will be talking about some different topics, uh, either concerning discipleship or leadership or maybe a mix of the two. And then periodically we're going to have guests on, guys and girls who have been doing some great things in leadership and discipleship and share their insight with us. And so our hope is it's a benefit to you as a leader in whatever capacity that you lead. And so um, maybe we should introduce ourselves a little bit more, Dave. Tell the, tell everybody who you are, what are you doing, kind of what your life looks like. Yeah, so my wife Erin and I uh, have three little girls. We live in upstate New York, and I serve as the lead pastor of a local church in a suburb of Syracuse called Clay. Um, it's pretty new for me. I've only been doing that for about five months. Previous to that, I served as a director of youth and college ministries for the Assemblies of God in the state of New York. And then even before that, I was a youth pastor for about 12 years, worked with my dad. So I'm actually pastoring at the church that my dad and my mom planted about 31 years ago. And um, I'm the second pastor, so it's my dad and me. Pretty amazing. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Well, my name is Jared, and um, my wife Jen and I have two kids, Judah and Charlotte, and uh, we recently moved to Syracuse and actually stepped into the job that David was doing before. Um, some would say that I stole it from him. Some would say you have big shoes to fill. Uh, that's literally been said to me many times, and I always thank people for reminding me of that. Um, Ten and a halfs. Yeah. <laughs> Extra wide. There's no way you're 10 and a half, but... We're, uh, man, we're, we're glad to be here in Syracuse. Before that, we were um, youth pastors for about eight years, and then for three and a half, four years, we were um, college young adult pastors and also discipleship pastors. So we love the local church, um, excited about what we get to do now, and uh, Dave is actually my senior pastor, so I get to go to Trinity every week. Yep, and submit to my leadership. I do. He, he exercises church discipline um, on a regular basis. Some would say unnecessarily. Yeah, I would say that, Absolutely. <laughs> But we're thankful for the opportunity to be with you guys. We, we both passionately believe in discipleship and leadership, that it matters. And our hope is that um, this podcast will be a benefit to you. So today we want to kick off by talking, uh, answering the question, what are the minimal factors for a disciple-making environment? Um, if we're leading uh, a church or a ministry and the goal is to make disciples, we want to create environments where that can happen, where people can be discipled. Uh, but everybody's in a different context. They have different resources, different abilities. So what are the minimal factors, the, the basic things you need in order to create a disciple-making environment? So we're going to kick that off, and we're going to actually share with you three things, and Dave and I will go back and forth and give, us, uh, give, your, give you our thoughts on it and uh, discuss it a little bit. And so the three things are people, time, and intentionality. So the first thing we're going to talk about is people. One of the minimal factors we need is people. Dave, when you think about that, what what comes to your mind? What what uh, questions do you ask when you think about um, people and disciple making? Well, I guess the first thing I think about is the nature of the relationships that we're developing as leaders and the um, targeting specific type of people to pour our lives into. So I think a, 
something that's been shared, I've heard in a lot of different circles, is the idea of you're looking for fat people, people who are faithful, available, and teach- teachable. And uh, I think the teachability one is one of the ones that I focus in on the most, is who are the learners, who are the growers, who are the ones who are um, humble enough to position themselves to have someone um, speak truth to them, invest in their lives. So I'm always thinking in terms of who are the people around me and who are the ones that I should be investing into. Yeah. You think, too, like um, when I think of people, I think oftentimes – leaders or pastors think discipleship can happen just from the preaching on a Sunday morning um, Mm. or, you know, putting a video in and then everyone sits and listens. And so they think, oh, I can disciple a group of people by myself or just using these plug and play ministries. And they fail to realize that discipleship happens person on person. You know, you actually need people who can be disciple makers in order to disciple others. Yeah, I mean, if the whole if the holistic nature of discipleship is that it affects every area of our lives, then um, there's limited access to people's lives on a Sunday morning. And so how do we share time with them in other environments uh, where we can show the way that the gospel is transforming us, not just when we gather, but when we scatter and when we're uh, in recreation or occupation or just doing life together. And so... I mean, one of the definitions of discipleship that I, I like, I don't know it's the, if it's the most complete definition, but it helps me, is that discipleship is this journey of moving from unbelief to belief in the gospel in every area of our lives. So it's not a single area of our lives or arena of our lives in which the gospel, in which gospel belief shouldn't be bearing fruit. And so I think uh, I agree that the idea that just showing up, hearing a good sermon, having a good experience is a disciple-making strategy. I mean, I guess it is a strategy, but I don't think that it's an effective one, and I don't think it's the one that Jesus models for us. Yeah. So one of the things that we would say is people is a minimal factor because there's no shortcut around that. Mm-hmm. If you don't have life-on-life happening, people investing into people, um, you people can get a lot of knowledge but it'll be hard to intentionally really make disciples. Now, one question before we move on to our next one that I'd love to ask you is, uh, for some people are listening, right, or they're stepping into ministry, they may feel like, I'm the only person here who has the spiritual maturity to disciple anybody. Like, I don't have any leaders. I don't have anybody else that is ready to go and make disciples. And that could feel a little bit overwhelming and tempting to try to, like, shortcut the process, right? So, for, for you and your experience, what would you say, what would, would your advice be to someone who's in that predicament? Well, obviously, you start with who you have. It's They're not there on accident. If we believe in a sovereign God, then God has brought these people under your spiritual care or onto your team uh, for a specific season, for a specific purpose, and so we trust God's plan, and we trust who he brings to us. I mean, I'm not sure that Jesus always looked at the 12 guys that were following him around and felt thrilled uh, about their um, about their current state or status. Yeah. And so um, I think asking God to give us the sort of eyes to see people that Jesus had when he saw Peter and was able to speak prophetically over him that your confession of faith and your life of faith is going to be a key stone uh, in the church that's going to be built. Um, I think so having that sort of ability to see people the way we want other people to see us, the potential, but then just keep coming back to the idea that we're not looking for skillful people. Uh, we're not necessarily looking for people who have it all together. Are they faithful? Uh, are they growing in their faithfulness? Are they available? Are they showing up and, and are they teachable? And then everything else can just sort of fall into place. But So it's not so much lowering your bar. I think it's 
recognizing um, that God has brought these people into your life, thanking him for them, being faithful with the little things so that as the ministry grows, there'll be more people brought in that you can pour your life into. Yeah, that's good. And and the reality of even if you're the only one, um, you have you. Mm-hmm. So start start with you. Lead yourself. Lead yourself yeah. and, and just grab a few people and start to pour into them. Yeah. Um, so that leads us into our next one, our next minimal factor, which is time. Right. So uh, the hard part about discipleship is that it takes a lot of time. And so one of the reasons we say it's a minimal factor is there's no way of getting around the time it takes to pour into people's lives for that to really bear fruit. And the real mark of a disciple is reproduction. Are they then (laughs) discipling somebody else? And it takes a long time to get someone from unbelief or some somewhere in their belief to them actually then going and discipling other people. So in your experience, pastoring and leading, um, what has been the challenges of the reality of how much time it takes to disciple? Well, I think there's two challenges come to mind immediately. One is just the busyness of life, right? People fill their lives up, and I have three little girls, and so one's in soccer, and they do swimming, and they're in drama, and they're music, and they they're, they spend hours every day on Minecraft. They're very busy, very busy building <laughs> building worlds or whatever they do. Um, so we fill our lives up, and um, it becomes hard to have the margin in our lives to invite people in and to inconvenience ourselves. I think hospitality is sort of a lost art probably in the Christian community, the idea of just having a home that's open for people who are at various stages in their faith journey. Yeah. Um, so that's one obstacle is just the business of life, if I'm being honest. But the other obstacle, I think, is the sort of prevalent metrics of healthy church, which is a great Sunday morning experience, some some excellent programs, um, maybe some community service. Um, those are all good things, of course. But if I'm a lead, if, as a lead pastor, when I feel like I'm being measured on my sermon primarily on Sunday mornings, or the experience that our church team is able to deliver on a Sunday morning, um, then if I'm not um, sort of pushing back on those metrics or not identifying maybe more, uh, identifying better metrics, I become a slave to those. And so then I bury myself in my office for 25 hours a week trying to put together the perfect sermon, uh, as opposed to um, seeing, um, sort of setting aside time, making time to share life with people, which actually in the end makes you a better preacher yeah, too. It's true. Yeah, I remember um, I worked at a very large church for uh, seven years, and in um, every typical metric was successful, right? And, and every reason to sit back and kind of go, this is going great. But we, we really reached a point where we were assessing our health and going, um, we're not making disciples. Like we don't have any intentional strategy. We're assimilating people. But we're not discipling people. And the majority of our people, if you asked them, are you in a disciple-making relationship with a non-believer or something? I mean, it would be the answer would be no, right? So we kind of were going through this process of trying to create a strategy to make disciples. And I all along, I remember the temptation was there to figure out a quick fix. Like, how do we, how do we make this happen quick? And mm-hmm. the more that we begin to talk about it and dive into it and learn and read about how do we do discipleship well, we realize you can't get around time. It yeah. takes time, and it's a lifelong journey, right? I yeah. mean, we're all in we're all in process, right? Right. It's a total shift. So, uh, my encouragement, if you're listening to the podcast and you're thinking, you know, I've got a youth ministry, or I've got a church, or I've got um, even just in my personal life, I want to do this. Um, you cannot come into it with some sort of pressure, panic to try to make yeah. this happen overnight. 
It won't. And if you're in kids' children's ministry or youth ministry or college ministry, if you don't see yourself as part of the whole church right. and you don't see it as a lifelong journey, you're going to have sort of unrealistic expectations as to what you can accomplish in the life of a teenager in six years. So, I'm again, I'm not saying lower the bar on what a teenager can do as far as a follower of Jesus. But at the same time, realize you don't have to get them from A to Z in those six years. You're right. just helping them navigate follow, trust, serve Jesus, believe more in the gospel, and then realizing they still have 80 years of their lives ahead of them to learn what this looks like and to live this out. Absolutely. So people is one of the minimal factors. The second one is time. It takes time to make disciples. And the third is intentionality. Uh, It takes an intentional laser-like focus on saying this is what we're going to do. So for you, um, Dave, what are some of the challenges or maybe what does this look like in your context of leadership? Yeah, I think of this on, on, I'll try to be real quick here. I think of it in three different ways. I think of intentionality as far as what is the uh, discipleship pathway look like in our local church and how are we communicating next steps clearly and consistently? And to be honest, this is something we're trying to develop right now at the church that I'm at. Um, so I don't have this sort of put together plan that I can roll out for you right now, but this is an ongoing conversation our leadership is having. We're, we're, we're reading the same books. We're having the same conversations. We're talking about things like how do we create clarity? How do we bring alignment and focus and movement? The sort of things that are talked about in the book, Simple Church. So that's one aspect of it. What's the next step and what do those handoffs, uh, transitions look like? The other, uh, second way I think of, um, intentionality is in what are the different disciple-making environments look like? So in the scriptures, you see a large group, small group, one-on-one, and just you and Jesus sort of disciple-making environment. So that's that's four right there. Um, there's other ways you can talk about it. But when we look at what we're offering as a local church, we have to ask ourselves, is there a large group disciple-making environment? Of course, most churches are offering that on Sunday mornings at their main service. But then what is the small group environment look like and who are we targeting and what are we trying to accomplish and how are we facilitating one-on-one spiritual coaching or discipleship or mentoring or whatever you want to call it and then how are we uh, keeping in front of the people the need for personal devotion and spiritual disciplines and even how are we training and facilitating them to do those things in sort of an artificial environment like a class so that they can create this spiritual muscle memory they can do it when they're on their own and then the last way that I think of intentionality is I forget who uses this language, but the idea of that discipleship is the head, the heart, and the hands. And so how are we strengthening their heart, their belief in the gospel? How are we shaping the way they think, their beliefs, and their biblical literacy, and their gospel fluency? And then how are we mobilizing their hands to serve and to reach out? So three different ways of thinking about it, but I I, I actually think they complement each other. Yeah, that's really good. One of the things that's been helpful, I think, is with intentionality is creating what the end picture looks like in your mind first. Mm -hmm. So if the goal is to make disciples, well, you've got to define what does a disciple look like in our church or our ministry. And once you know where the end goal is, then you can create a strategy and a pathway to get there. I think part of the problem is people don't really um, lay out what a fully formed disciple looks like. They kind of know in their mind, right? Like, here's what I hope it looks like. or um, But a lot of times that boils down to just someone who attends more often or gives more money or whatever, you know, the metrics yeah. are. And and then what we do is we have all the stuff that we're doing, all the programs that we're doing, um, the busy, crazy church schedule, and we think, okay, you know what I need to do? I need to preach a sermon series on discipleship. Or I need to... Um, 
do a four-week video teaching on a Wednesday night on discipleship. And so we try to take disciple-making, which is the main goal of all followers of Jesus, right? I mean, that's the Great Commission to go make disciples. And then we try to kind of plug it in somewhere within our already busy, crazy, hectic schedule and then kind of sit back and wonder why it doesn't really take. So discipleship, what I hear you saying is discipleship is not a program of the local church. It's the really mission mission of the local church. And I think it is easy in the local church environment or youth ministry environment to um, feel like we're successful because we're filling people's calendars with events and activities when really we're called to um, first, as God helps us and as the Spirit's at work, to fill their hearts with gospel belief, but then fill their everyday lives with mission. And that's not the same thing as filling someone's calendars with events, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So for us, one of the things that was helpful is we said, well, here's what a, we define what a, a fully formed disciple would look like. And then we started to create intentionality and in saying, okay, the filter for which we decide what we're going to do is, does this help us accomplish our mission? So programs are a tool to be used by us to accomplish our mission, right? We're not controlled by programs. So if the program helps us get there, then great. We'll do it, and we'll make it the best. If it doesn't, we're going to scrap it. And so basically we came up with a strategy of, um, you know, I'm going to pour myself into a group of leaders with the end goal of training them to learn how to um, make disciples and then pour them and created this reproductive process that mm-hmm. as people move through it, the end goal what we would see come out is um, people who didn't know Jesus at one time coming to faith, growing their maturity, and then them leading others to Jesus and developing them. It sounds like Multiply. Yeah. Is that where we got the name? <laughs> you know, one more thought on this, if, I, if we have time. Um, uh, I read a book a while back called You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith. And in it, he, he one of the chapters is kind of a scathing rebuke of youth ministry. And he's honest. I mean, he's, I don't think he's unfair. Um, but one of the things he says, when it comes to being intentional, is I think we have to question all of our existing metrics and ask ourselves, are these biblical metrics? Or are they cultural? Are they denominational? Yeah. Um, because uh, he talked about in youth ministry how sometimes, and we're part of the Assemblies of God, so we're part of evangelical, uh, um, Pentecostal, expressive forms of worship and faithfulness. And so one of the things he said that really jumped out at me is in youth ministry, it's possible in those environments that we've confused extroversion with faithfulness. And the teenagers that are super extroverted and sign up for everything and show up for everything and are really expressive in their singing, um, we look at them and go, man, they, wow, really, these are growing disciples. And then you get an introverted kid in the room who's shy, has all sorts of uh, reasons why he or she doesn't look like the quote-unquote youth group all-stars, and we think kind of like, what's wrong with them? What, how do we change them? How do we? And it's not a discipleship issue. Sometimes it's just a personality issue. Sometimes it's just the way God's wired them and made them. And we need to understand who they are so we can help them follow Jesus the way that they were made to follow Jesus within sort of their own makeup, as opposed to you need to be more like these other people. So I think questioning our existing metrics and just saying, is this more just kind of like traditional, denominational, cultural, or is this really a biblical metric? Yeah, I love that that idea. And I think that's the beauty of disciple making when it really happens is everybody is unique and and you can reach people that other people can't. Right, So as we begin to disciple people, they can actually reach people in a way that we can't because of different interests and personality types. And so it's pretty cool when you start to look around and you see a bunch of people making disciples and you're like, 
dude, that person they reached, like I would never be able to reach that person, you know, or that young girl, that young guy, like that's unbelievable. And yet now we're all a part of the same family because of the diversity and the power of disciple making. Yeah, that's great. So those are the three minimal factors. And and my encouragement to you guys, which is this, whatever setting you're in, if you could plug in these three things, if you had people, time and intentionality, um, you're willing to invest your life into people and raise up disciple makers who can make disciples. You're willing to allow the time it takes to do this and not just look for a quick fix. And you're willing to make the sacrifices and cut things out that need to be cut to have a laser-like intentionality. Um, you can create environments that make disciples. So we want to end every podcast with a little bit of fun and uh, maybe a little segment called David's Eats. If you didn't know this about David, he is, um, he is an insane food lover. Mm. Foodie is the term. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, foodie. Oh, I didn't want to be that. Used guy. to be overweight. Now it's foodie. I yeah, like that. That's it's much good. better. That's much a better. way better ring to it. So uh, David loves food, and um, and in fact, he's the guy that everybody calls to ask where should I eat, no matter where they're on the country. Somehow he just knows. He has his finger on this thing. Some would call it idolatry, really, but <laughs> but we benefit from. Some would call it a spiritual gift. Maybe a spiritual gift. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how that thin line. Yeah. You know, but so Dave, we want to ask you a little question today. What's the best thing you've eaten this week? The best thing I've eaten this week. Well, um, not to toot my own horn here, but I made you a ribeye last night. You and some friends that were in town visiting us, and uh, I might have overseasoned it a little bit. But the key to a good ribeye <laughs> is you got to get that cast iron skillet as hot as you can. Rub it with canola oil. Don't use the other oils because they'll smoke too much. So a little salt, a little pepper. Sear it off for about a minute on each side. Drop it back in the oven or in the grill for another few minutes on each side. A little butter, a little herbs, a little garlic, and let it. Make sure you rest. A lot of people make a lot of people make mistakes when they do their steaks, and it's before or after. Number one, you're supposed to let the steak sit out and come to room temperature. So let it out of the fridge for about an hour, an hour and a half before you cook it. And number two, you gotta let it rest a good six, seven, eight minutes afterwards. You cut it right away, and all the juices go. So there's uh, that's probably the most useful tip you've heard in this whole podcast. Wow, that's gonna really change lives. There's probably some discipleship principles within that right there. I don't know what they are, but the steak was good. I gotta admit, we had a great time um, hanging out and uh, and making disciples. I was discipling David last night, so. <laughs> Hey, thank you guys so much for listening to the Multiply Podcast. We're glad you're uh, with us, and we look forward to hanging out with you next time.